episode 373 of Cinematary. I'm your host, Zach Dennis, and I'm here with... Seth Troyer. In today's episode, we'll be talking about movies that we saw this week in part one, and in part two, we will be diving into the cinematic classic 2004 Shrek 2 as part of our October series. The most important film ever made. Listen, you got to respect the classics. You got to respect the classics, and the classics include Shrek 2. Um, but yeah, head over to cinematary.com. We got, uh, I mentioned it last week, but we have our Toronto International Film Festival coverage or 2021 TIFF coverage. Uh, you can find that at the top of the website. You can filter through. Andrew has a couple reviews. I got a bunch of reviews. Uh, you know, give it a read. Let us know what you think. And then um, if you have not followed our Shrek series so far, we got Shrek 1 up there and ready to go. So catch up. Um, but let's go ahead and jump in the movies that we saw this week. And we have two uh, new releases for you guys. Um, the first one, I'm going to I'm gonna kick us off. The first one is uh, the newest in the James Bond uh, franchise. Uh, they waited forever to finally like release this. They kept, I think it was supposed to come out... I think it was it last summer? I think it was last like summer. Um, then they pushed it to the fall, and then they pushed it to now. Uh, actually, it was supposed to come out earlier this year, and they pushed it to the fall. I take it back. Um, so finally, finally, no time to die. The final Daniel Craig James Bond came out. Uh, this one is directed by Kerry Fukunaga, who is uh, you probably have seen with uh, he did Sin Nombre, he did Beast of No Nation. Um, he also did, let me, am I correct? He did the uh, series, yeah, Maniac with uh, Emma Stone and Jonah Jonah Hill. Um, he also did a Jane Eyre adaptation. Um, but he's directing the new Bond movie. He's also the first, I think, American filmmaker to ever direct a James Bond movie. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the plot is James Bond. Stuff, people are coming after him. He's got to save the world. Um you know, one of the kind of monikers of the Daniel Craig Bond movies is that he's kind of had like a through line, like a narrative through line throughout the entire, like all the movies. Um, and so, you know, while a Pierce Brosnan or a Roger Moore or Sean Connery, like those Bond movies really don't have that much connectivity. I mean, they might have like a villain or something like that that kind of keeps going. For the most part, they're just kind of one-offs. You know, they're just, they're, they don't really have any connective tissue. It's just... Bond has to save the world. He has sex with a woman. He's super misogynist. And then they, you know, the movie ends. Um, Daniel, yeah. Daniel Craig's movies, um, he's kind of tried to like do like a narrative through line. Like you have characters like the Leah Sadu character who is kind of like this love interest for him. Um, but I swear it's like they like fall in love and you kind of get them in love for like five minutes and then something happens and he's just like, I don't trust you. And then they break up. And I think that's been the case for like two movies now. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I think for this one, the, the, the really the big complaint I have with this movie is that it's like two hours and 45 minutes, which is absurd. Um, we don't need blockbusters to be that long. And this one, like you could shave like 20, 25 minutes out of this thing and we would have been fine. I think that's also like part of the bloat is because we have like, we have to like set up all these really asinine um, 
plot beats that like we're supposed to care about and again i don't really give a shit about like james bond like finding love i'm like no i just like he needs to go and like save the world and like do cool action shit and uh you know i don't know like i'm like drive a car like i don't i really don't i don't really really care about like his emotional growth like he, he whatever it's it's james bond um but this one, uh, like, like I said, this is the last one with Daniel Craig. But this one also has uh, R- uh, Rami Malek um, plays the villain. You have uh, kind of the, the, the usual cast of characters that, we're, that we've seen in these Daniel Craig Bonds. You have uh, Naomi Harris as Moneypenny. You have Ray Fiennes as M. Ben Wishaw as Q. Um, a couple of the new characters they have. Lashana Lynch um, plays the new 007 because at, at this point... In the story, uh, James Bond has left um, MI6, and so he's no longer a double O, and so she's taken over that role for him. Uh, you also have um, Billy Magnuson, who plays this uh, kind of FBI or former, no, former CIA agent who's um, who's uh, helping out uh, Felix Leiter, played by Jeffrey Wright from uh, who was in the last was last in Casino Royale. Um, you see how convoluted this is when we have so many characters that we're having to carry over. Um, but really, one of my favorite new ones was they added uh, Anna Diarmas, um, who was with Craig and Knives Out. Um, she was also in Blade Runner, um, but she has like this really. She's not in the movie long, but she has this really nice scene where it's it's her and uh, and Bond in Cuba, and uh, it's a it's pretty brief, but it, it but she she really like like adds this energy and it's a really like fun action sequence and so. Um, in in terms of those like action sequence wise the cuba one is great they go to like this party all these bad guys get poisoned and then like a bunch of you know fighting breaks out and so you have anna de armis like in this really like long black silk suit or suit silk dress um like kicking people because clearly carrie fukunaga watched uh mission impossible uh, Rogue Nation and saw Rebecca Ferguson in her dress kicking ass and was like let's do that um, but really the standout uh, action sequence for me was there's a scene where um, they're in ice Norway yeah they're in Norway um, and Bond is is like running through is having to like fight all these guys and like run through um this this forest and like the forest is like really misty and uh like Fukunaga I think really a lot of the action sequences I think Fukunaga really like nails them because they're all kind of very contained they don't feel like they're ever trying to like I think Sam Mendez um with especially with Spectre he was like like actively trying to outdo all the stuff that people kind of liked with Skyfall and so they kind of became not absurd because they're all absurd but like they all they they almost became like um Especially in that movie, it was like literally like carbon copies of what was good from the previous movie, so it became kind of boring. Um, and like in Casino Royale, Martin Campbell did a great job, but it's like they were very much uh, trying to like build it off of the Bourne franchise and like kind of mimic that action. And so this one, I, th- I think Fukunaga, like he was very impressive, like as an action film director, because he does, he's able to like kind of create not only these really. Um, really entertaining action sequences but also like he's able to create the atmosphere around it um you open with this set piece um 
you the, like the first kind of big action set piece happens where bond is like running through this italian little italian town and like you can you feel like the different like hills and layers of that town as he's like moving through and driving through the area um and uh i'm i'm trying to think of the last one the last one is is like in the is like in the 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 bad guys base so it's not as fun but i think the the one that happened the in the forest in norway and the one in cuba where they're in like this nightclub and uh Anna Domris and, and and james bond are like fighting people is i think are, are pretty pretty effective and, and entertaining fight sequences but um Overall, I like this one. It's a lot better than Spectre. Spectre was also super fucking long and was super boring. Um, I still really, again, like to reaffirm, I don't really give a shit about the... the the content the continuity in the narrative for this one i was telling a friend uh because he asked if i if i saw it and i was kind of like i hope with like whoever takes over as james bond like they just kind of ditch that i think it was more what daniel craig kind of wanted to do with the franchise like have this connective tissue and so i'm kind of hoping whoever does this who does it next kind of goes back to the basic one-off formula um because i just i've kind of i just kind of roll my eyes at like the 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 kind of shoe in how we're trying to connect everything and create this emotional journey i'm like I, nobody we don't give a shit it's it's they kind of try to do it in mission impossible also and i'm like no we just want to watch tom cruise run and jump across buildings and get into fights with people so that's 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 why we're here like let's let's not let's not just do that really well um but overall i think no time to die um is entertaining i think kerry fukunaga shows that he you know i hope i'll be curious to see him do other if he does other action movies past this um i'm trying to think rami malik is pretty uh, he's kind of he doesn't do much as the villain he kind of just um has like a weird like a weird facial scar and then just kind of does like a elevated impression of his character in Mr. Robot. Um, it's kind of like Javier Bardem in Skyfall where he's doing like a different, like a different version of his character from no country for old man. It's kind of like that, but for his Mr. Robot character. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it was, I think it was fun. Um, honestly, like I would have watched the, at the beginning of the movie, we like, see that bond when he's like left the secret service he is just like chilling out in like jamaica just drinking and driving around and hanging out at the beach and i'm like yeah like let's what if we just watch like a two-hour movie of daniel craig as james bond just chilling out in uh in jamaica like drinking red stripe and just hanging out at the beach like that sounds fun like i i would like no action happens it's just like him hanging out with people and in uh in jamaica i'm i'm down for that fear and loathing with 007 exactly like i'm just kind of like let's just uh let's just have a nice like peaceful like he meets somebody they hang out and then at the end of the movie like it's still a one-off because the next time we just we have another adventure in in jamaica who knows yeah Uh uh-huh so if you're uh if you're on the fence or you're curious about about no time to die it's worth it again super damn long but that's also the case with a lot of blockbusters. I mean, Marvel movies are the same way where they're way too long. So it is what it is. I'm just like, there, no, there's no reason. There's, you can't explain to me that there would be two hours and 45 minutes of plot that you would need for a James Bond movie. I mean, if he's just so. sitting on the beach and drinking and stuff 
for like an hour of it. I guess you do. Um. <laughs> well, they waste like the first 20 minutes like setting up all this other shit. And I'm like, no, like, let's just have them on the beach doing that stuff. Drinking a drink with an umbrella in it. Yeah, like just, you know, hanging out. He's got somebody with him. I'm like, yeah, like that's, I don't know, like that seems like a fun time. I was down with that. <clears throat> did John Woo ever do a 007? No, he just did the Mission Impossible. That seems obvious. I want him to do one. I would like, yeah, I would like a, a John Woo 007, and then I'd like, like, somebody to do a Wuxia, like a Wuxia 007. <laughs> let's get, let's or get, like, let's get. What else? The, uh, I want the, the guy who did uh, Only God Forgives and, dri- and Drive. I want him to do one. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let's do Nicholas. that. I'm surprised he has, like, he's seen. He seems like Nicholas Winding Refn sounds like a, like <laughs> somebody who would do a James Bond him. movie. Um, he would have like Kenneth Anger yeah. co-direct, and it would be just I'm trying to think. It would of, be just great. It'd be horrible. And you'd be like, "Was it good?" I'm trying I to think. No, I can't to think figure of other, out if it was good or not. It was just upsetting. I'm trying to think of other great. 007. Uh, Bellatar. Bellatar. I, I don't know. Definitely. I would like to see like something like that, or like, or like a, a Bellatar, a Bellatar James Bond. Yeah, let's do that. That's where you would get your like one-off, where he's just sitting around for a long time. That's true. That's true. Um, well, no time to die. It's in uh, it's in theaters now. So if you want to like you know have your return to the movies, it's worth it. Um, I saw the trailer though for that Marvel's Eternals movie, and that looks like dog shit. That's my that's my take. Um, but yeah, Seth, you also saw a new release, and so I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious to hear about this one. I did. <laughs> Speaking of Bellatar, it was uh, uh, it was co-produced, I think, or produced by Bellatar, which I did not know. All I knew going into this thing was just A24, and I think that's what's going to, uh, did I, I didn't even say what the movie was, did I? I did not. I'm talking about Lamb, that, uh, just came out this year, um, and yeah, it was produced by Bellatar, who usually does, like, really long, intense, like, black and white, I don't know what you call them, but they're, like, draining in every way um and they're wonderful like satan tango his one is like seven hours long but i was really surprised when i saw like he's a he was a producer when the credits were rolling um because i was going into this because it's an a24 and i think that's going to kind of hinder it a little bit because it almost made me, like, I was like, is this just, like, a shoehorn sort of, like... Because A24, like, horror, I, I'm, like... There's a lot of, like, uh, baggage, I feel like. You're going... There's, like, a lot of a lot for them to, like, top with, like, Hereditary and Midsommar. It's, like, almost, like, just because that's on the post just because that's who produced it that who the studio is that you're like expecting it's going to have some sort of kinship to those um which it does not and it's also like feels like it's sold as a 
first, don't watch any of the trailers. I feel like it's very sold as, like, a regular horror movie, which it's... It's horrific, but it's more like a... Like a weird tale or a magic realism. Something out of, like... I don't know. Thomas Ligotti or something. Jeff Vandermeer. Uh... A little bit yeah it has more of that but it's definitely more like there's a there's a mood there that permeates the whole thing and that's really what i wound up liking almost more than like the concept or whatever was actually going on in it which is uh it's an icelandic movie and it takes place in these beautiful icelandic mountains and this couple lives in a little cottage just in the middle of nowhere and like the opening is really like arresting it's very meditative we actually watch them like they these actors clearly learn how to do these farm tasks with uh these sheep and goats and stuff that they're in charge of and we like watch them like in real time like feeding them and tending to their needs and delivering uh delivering lambs like in like single take shots they're like like these two actors like i don't know if they have like a history with like being on a farm but like they deliver at least from what i can see i think it was like a real birth happening um so that happens and it's definitely one of those movies where i feel like i can't really talk about it too much without spoiling something um but it really is what happens the titular lamb is really what it's all about and it's just uh once the lamb that lamb comes about it's you just uh i don't know like for the first four if if anything it's worth it for that first 30 to 40 minutes of just like you're looking at your friends that you're sitting with in the aisle and being like did I miss something? Like what? What? What's? What's wrong with these people? Like what is? What's happening? What? What is that thing? What is it? What's? 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 What's wrong with this situation? Uh, and why is nobody talking about it? And it's like this great sort of like <laughs> uh, elephant in the room slash lamb in the room uh, that you're just like what's what's wrong? You know, it's, it's like this fun sort of like you're like disgusted and you're laughing kind of and you're scared because it's got this like droning soundtrack and... the the marketing for it kind of i i feel like this is probably not it's not a similar movie but like the marketing for it kind of reminds me of um when a24 was marketing the witch just because it was like you know a lot of those trailers were very vague you had like the you know black philip the goat like like in a lot of the uh the trailers and stuff and it was just kind of like this um they kind of marketed it as oh it's just like this kind of strange movie set in you know in early america that's also kind of creepy but also you're not going to know really what's going on you kind of have to go in and experience it i don't know is it is it kind of like that where it's it's marketing itself as kind of this enigma and then it opens up when you watch it uh, i would say well, again, I I can't remember what the trailer for this thing was like, but boy, it at least did a good job of not making me know what I was in for. 
in a good way. Because, uh, yeah, I would say kind of like the opposite for this one. Like, because the, the witch does kind of develop. It's The witch is still, like, really strange and, like, singular in its approach to horror. But it definitely feels like... I mean, it's got the basic, like, it's a, there's a witch at the center of it. It is, like, a horror movie. Uh, whereas this one definitely leaves the audience, like, if you go into this thing, like, expecting, like, you're, like, waiting for when the, like, horror drops, and it's not really that kind of movie. Um, it doesn't have, like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it's more about mood. It's more about just feeling fucking weird in that theater and not knowing what's going on until the end. And then it just gets really, it does get really upsetting. Uh, so in that way, you could draw a uh, through line to Hereditary or something, because it does get genuinely, like, the performances, like, for some of these, like, really, like, hectic and horrible situations are really impressive and naturalistic. Again, like, a lot of naturalistic feeling stuff. Yeah. I, I think also, like, the thing with The Witch that was that was so effective was it was, like, if, if you've seen that movie, you know what it's like. And that was, like, playing at multiplex theaters, you know? It, was, it wasn't playing at, like, just art house. It was playing at, like, you know... The, it was playing next to like the Marvel movie or the James Bond movie at the at the movie theater and so just how you're describing it it seems like a, another one of those where it's like somebody's gonna go to like a multiplex like a bigger theater and watch this and be like what the hell is this why am I at this multiplex watching this strange movie yeah and I guess the more I think about it, like, the ad campaign, I think it is just, like, my own baggage. Like, seeing A24 and that it's got a creepy trailer, at least in some regard, like, thinking that it's, that I have all these, like, preconceived notions. But, like, the poster itself is, like, actually very representative. It's like a painting of a woman holding a lamb, and it's nothing really all that, like, menacing. Uh, yeah. I I really enjoyed it. I want more movies. Uh, I don't I don't know how much I loved it. I I think I would need to see it again. Uh, I I had some problems with the third act, but um, hardly something that ruins a movie for me at least. Um, is how it wraps up because it really is about for something like this. It is a mood piece, um, and the mood does nice. work. Well, Lamb, it's in uh, it's in theaters now, so I guess you can go and bring a friend and have a nice, weird experience together. Yeah. Get weird. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back talking Shrek 2 after this. Cinematary listeners, this is your favorite Filipino podcaster, Jessica Carr. I'm here to let you know about a couple of things that Cinematary offers that you might not know about. First, if you're a fan of what Cinematary is doing, please consider joining us on Patreon. Remember when we weren't clamoring for your dollars? Or now we're just clamoring for five of your dollars. So please help us and donate to our Patreon, and then you'll get exclusive content from our staff, including our film 
Theory and Chill series, where a panel takes a piece of theory each month and deconstructs it before diving into whatever topic is on their mind from the past week. The $5 each month is investment in the website and the podcast, and it goes solely to paying our writers for the reviews each week, so please consider doing it. It's only $5. If you missed an episode of Cinematary or a piece of writing we've had, you should consider signing up for our free newsletter. Each Sunday, we send out a note with the latest podcast episode, piece of Patreon content, and the last two reviews that we've written at Cinematary.com. It's perfect for those of you who are interested in what's happening, and it makes sure that you don't miss a single Cinematary review. Finally, the easiest thing that you can do to help us is to please, please give us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever else you're using to listen to the show. This helps us get more eyeballs and ears on the podcast and the website, and it helps the people know about Cinematary, which is really what we're here for. So to recap, consider donating to our Patreon, sign up for the free newsletter, and give us a rating or review. We would really appreciate if you could do these things. Thank you for listening, and now back to the show. C minor, put it in C minor. Where have all the good men gone, and where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising walls? Isn't there a white night upon a fiery steed? Late at night, I toss and I turn and I dream of what I episode 373 of Cinematary. In this part, we'll be continuing our October series with with 2004 Shrek 2. Directed by Adam A- Adamson, or Andrew Adamson. Adam, Adam Adamson. Adamson. Andrew, Adam Adamson. <laughs> Andrew Adamson and uh, Kelly Asbury uh, from a script by Adamson, Joe Stillman, J. David Stem, and David N. Weiss. The film stars Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy, Cameron Diaz, Antonio Banderas, Jennifer Saunders, John Cleese, and Julie Andrews. Uh, after returning from their honeymoon and showing home movies to their friends, Shrek and Fiona learn that the parents that her parents have heard that she has married her true love and wish to invite him to their kingdom called Far, Far Away. The catch is, Fiona's parents are unaware of the curse that struck their daughter and have assumed she married Prince Charming, not a 700-pound ogre with horrible hygiene and a talking donkey pal. I like that because I didn't really... Like, like they specified seven hundred pounds. Like they were like, well, Shrek. I mean, naturally, it's a seven hundred pound over. Like, oh, oh, it's part of. Like that's in this. Like that's canon that he's seven hundred pounds. I didn't know it was seven hundred pounds. I, I, I guess it's it is. Um, 
Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio, uh, the screenwriters of the first film, insisted that the sequel be a traditional fairy tale, but after disagreements with the producers, they left the project and were replaced by director Andrew Adamson. Uh, his writing of Shrek 2 was inspired by the 1967 comedy drama film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. In an early version of Shrek 2, Shrek abdicated the throne and called for a fairy tale election. Pinocchio's campaign was an, quote, honesty campaign, while Gingy's was a smear campaign. Adamson said that although this plot did have some funny ideas, it was also uh, too overtly satiric and political and considered, quote, more intellectual than emotional. Shrek 2 also appears much darker in terms of lighting when compared to the original film. Designers reportedly took inspiration from 19th century French illustrator and engraver Gustave Doré to improve the film's richness of detail and setting. According to production designer Guillaume Aritos, quote, there are a lot of medieval paintings and illustrations and my own influences, which are classical paintings from from the 15th and 16th centuries. The design of Shrek is always a twist on reality anyway, so we tried to pack as much detail and interest as we could in the imagery. Uh, Adamson on creating Far, Far Away said, quote, We knew from the very beginning that we wanted to make Far, Far Away the antithesis of everything Shrek. So we asked, okay, what is Shrek? He is totally not image conscious. He likes to live his own way and do his own thing. And what is the opposite of all that? The answer was easy. Beverly Hills, the epitome of image conscious, status conscious, and wealth wealth conscious everything that Shrek isn't. We thought it would be fun to put Shrek in an environment that was the complete opposite of his world. The kingdom of Far, Far Away is the Beverly Hills Hollywood glamour capital of the fairy tale world. Uh, Kelly Asbury adds, quote, It's where the very richest and the most illustrious fairy tale celebrities live, like Cinderella, Snow White, and Rapunzel. All of their palaces are here. When Shrek, Fiona, and Donkey enter this world, they are like tourists coming to Hollywood for the first time. Fiona is just glad to be home, and Donkey is excited. You almost expect him to have a Hawaiian shirt on and a camera around his neck. And then there's Shrek, who is not feeling too good about all this. An ogre belongs in a swamp, not in the land of swimming pools and movie stars. He's an ogre out of mud, is one way to say it. Man, that's good. That's good type. Man, this is why this is why they make the big bucks. The L.A. Times in 2004 said, "Can an ogre live happily ever after? Can fairy tale characters be content with their fairy tale lives? Can an Oscar-winning animated success generate a successful sequel?" To all those questions, Shrek 2 is happy to answer yes, yes, and yes. And uh, the New York Times in 2004 said, "Slick and playful entertainment that remains carefully inoffensive beneath its veneer of bad manners." Um, and then Roger Ebert in 2004 said, Shrek 2 is bright, lively, and entertaining, but it's no Shrek. Ooh, it's Roger's Shrek like, I'm a, it's Roger's Shrek 2, a, bitch. He's a, he's a Shrek purist. He only watched, he's like, I only, I only like the first one. Man, he's just pissed he didn't get paid $10 million to be a voice actor. He has to actually write stuff. Um, so yeah, let's dig into it. Uh, uh, Seth, you weren't on the first episode, so I'm just kind of curious. What is uh, what's your history with Shrek? Are you uh, like you know? Well, do you remember watching the first one? And then I guess what what uh, what's your impression of this one? It's forever linked to like memories of being in elementary school and Nickelodeon and slime and fart jokes and warheads and stuff. I don't know. That's uh, it's just. A complete nostalgia, ska, Smash Mouth, it's all in there. 
And I do agree. It's a it's a it's a shadowy movie, Shrek Two, by comparison to the overbearing lightness of Shrek One's being. Unbearable lightness of Shrek One's being. Um, uh, wait, were they so they said they were gonna originally make it a fairy tale or something? No, I guess so. I guess they they wanted to make it like more of a, like a traditional fairy tale, and so I guess they got nixed. I like the whole idea of like Shrek abdicating the throne and them having a fairy tale election, and, and like you know, like I can I, I imagine this whole commentary on like anti monarchy, pro democracy Shrek two. I just like imagine like what was that? They were going crazy. So that first draft, they're like, we're gonna we're we're tired of all this snarky family guy humor in this movie we're gonna take it out we're gonna we're gonna do what we want to do we're just gonna make them love each other without these silly jokes and it's gonna be just pixie dust that's what i'm imagining yeah i like this one though because i think the first one the first one's great and just kind of stands in its own little like we talked about it last week that stands in its own little realm of just it's, it's kind of this untouchable thing um yeah, like, but the this one I think is I think the story for this one is pretty great just because you have like this. One of the things we were talking about last week is is like you know it kind of you have this merger of, of like pop culture and fairy tales where pop culture is kind of the modern fairy tale. It's the modern you know that that's it, it's those kind of. Um, you know, even though it's real, like it's these made up, these kind of made up stories that are driving culture and driving, you know, what people are, are infatuated with. And I feel like this Shrek 2 really like nails down and gets into that where, you know, it like the director was saying, they go to the, this pretty much like fairy tale Hollywood. Um, and you like kind of get that saturated, like the saturatedness of pop culture and this like vapidness of pop culture today. Um, but you know, again, it's like over, it's, it's on top of the fairy tale aesthetic that you have with Shrek. And so like, you think about like when they first get to, uh, get to far, far away and you have the wonderful, uh, the wonderful funky town needle drop oh, there. Man, that, that just made me get so excited in that theater as a little whatever my age was at that time but uh i mean you ha- like it it has like you know the the it has the starbucks it has like all these kind of it, it's it's really like making kind of this this connection between consumer culture and pop culture and how you know those are all kind of intertwined intertwined in one another um as like our as like our driving our driving stories uh today that's my that's my super in-depth assessment of of shrek 2 i like that yeah no you're 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 correct because so so many of those those fairy tales are archetypes and they're still things that we just kind of rebrand and recreate uh in the in the shape of like uh, actors in Hollywood too or celebrities in Hollywood like so they are just like we say like fa- a fairy tale romance still or like you know stuff like that uh, I, I see that for sure that they are just like we're just going back to the actual archetypes yeah. which are just well I think and I think also yeah, to, to that point like you 
like fairy tales i mean they they were the they were the pop culture of that of the day like those were like like you're saying like those were the archetypes that kind of drove the stories and i think that you 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 still have that today you think about like i mean i was talking about uh james bond earlier and like it's like that movie's constantly kind of especially the most recent ones with Daniel Craig, like they're taking elements from the Jason Bourne movies, which are super popular or, um, you know, things like that. I think, you know, I, I feel like that, like they'll probably start becoming inf- like, it's like, it's a franchise that's constantly influenced by what's popular in action movies that, you know, at that period of time, I think the next rendition will probably have some influences from like John wick and things like that, just because we've seen how popular those types of movies are. And so I think that pop culture is constant is, is inherently always reacting to what is, what is popular i mean what is what what, like what people are engaging with and so there's kind of this you know especially as we as that becomes more ingrained with capitalism like there is like this consumer culture that's also overloading and so i think that that's what that's what's interesting just in general about the shrek franchise is that it's really engaging with you know fairy tales at that period of time you didn't have like that that capitalism element to it so it's not like they were saturated with like this kind of consumerism and so if anything like like shrek 2 is a very perfect um encapsulation of of pop culture today because it's kind of like fairy tales but caked in in like you know caked in in consumerism yeah exactly cake man this is going good you came out of the gate hot with this you thought it wasn't going to get serious on shrek 2 podcast with seth and zach but it got serious it got cerebral immediately but yeah, I mean, I think I, I that, like that's why I, I watched this. I watched this for the first time in forever. I think last year, and I was like, "This movie slaps." And then uh, I, when I watched it, when I watched it yesterday, I was I, I kind of was just like tuning in on that. I was just like, "Yeah, like there's like this," and and like we were talking about um, before we we got on. It also is a movie that moves very quickly. Um, yeah, that pace. Yeah, I, we we both agreed on this that like the pace just starts and it is not an ounce of fat on it. It just rolls and if like again like even if you like are kind of like shrugging and frowning as like an adult viewer watching the whole thing, you can't say that it doesn't go down easy and like it just feels like it's over like that. That is a fast 90 minutes and it's it's the sliding board it's a good time uh it's uh some of the you know some of the humor i find a little grating uh like a little like they're going too hard to uh like i don't know like so, so some of the things like go too far like to lampoon just like this is just how silly these fairy tales are or like just like bringing them too far into like the, the the real world like i couldn't stand when like pinocchio had a thong on i was just like too far i couldn't i couldn't <laughs> you get your hand out of his pants gingerbread man uh, well, i can't and, handle uh, but that then it also has like really great jokes like you have the one the one bit late in the film when the giant gingerbread man is walking through the is like you know stomping through the town and he and he knocks over the the Starbucks cup, and all the people run out of the one Starbucks and go across the way to the other Starbucks. 
great joke. That's killer. Yeah, some of it is real good satire. Like that's really where it works for me. Is when it it keeps its eye on the ball with like lampooning culture and lampooning like the ruling class of this particular kingdom and whatnot or like Shrek for being too curmudgeon-y. I think that's where the humor works. Well, and if we uh, if we also want to just dig in deeper, it also has like this whole commentary on the the ruling class, the people in in power who are being kind of puppeted by corporations, you know? You have you have the king who but who is also at the bidding of the fairy godmother who <clears throat> She run, runs a sweatshop. She runs this, yeah, this, the Keebler elves. This giant sweatshop, uh, you know. I mean, pretty much she's, you know, we got the whole like Amazon and White House situation going on here. So, um, which I, which also, again, way over my head. And I was like, oh, this is, <laughs> look at Shrek, look at Shrek 2 coming up with a nice, uh, another light stage capitalism <laughs> point. Oh, man. Like the vet, my favorite. I think my favorite, like one of my favorite characters, is is Kevin or or whatever his name is. He's like the sexy. Uh, uh, he's the, like wearing yeah, a velvet yeah. outfit, and he drives the coach for the fairy godmother. And he like they go to the Keebler elves like fairy godmother mother like sanctum, and they like walk up and they start like talking about how they're like their cover like Shrek's cover is that they are from the workers union or something. I thought that was so good, and he's like because he was like really uptight until he mentioned that, and then all of a sudden he like turns the like little microphone uh that the fairy godmother can hear him with and he like turns it aside and he's like well he's like we don't even have dental and the trucks like they don't even have dental (laughs) we don't have dental (laughs) that's right i loved all that that was so good i that honestly my favorite part was a lot of these like minor characters um like the fairy godmother and Prince Charming are what makes the movie for me. Like, as an adult, like, I really enjoy the hell out of them. Like, Prince Charming is such a lovably stupid guy. I just... He's just so ridiculous. He provides a great opening to the movie. The great, like, prologue where he, like, gets faked out. He goes there and he's like, oh, she's on her honeymoon, but I'm so And then hot. we have to, then we have to, you know, shift into... You know this movie's kickoff song, which is "Accidentally Love" by The Counting Crows. Oh, and it's it's a slapper. It's, it's no all star, but uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good, and it's written for this movie, correct? I think it is. Uh, which you know, it's fall. I feel like fall is the time for uh, Counting Crows. I felt I felt spoken to. It's really it's you know it's really um, fit in the mood. Um. And I think the other thing, you know, going back to the whole kind of pop culture connection, it's also a movie that's constantly, and I think this is why it plays so well for for people who are not just, you know, the parents who are going with the kids, because it's constantly making references to popular movies or kind of pop culture moments. Again, like kind of, it's 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 interesting. It's doing it. It's it's doing it in a little bit more subtle way than something like. Um, 
than you know than more recent movies where it's like making direct references. You know, like you think of like we were talking about. You were talking about the thong scene with with Pinocchio, but that's a whole like homage reference to Mission Impossible, like down to the music and like the whole like the the whole structure of that you have. You have. Um, I'm trying to think of the other the other references that you have in there. You have so many where it's just like it's new Godzilla, yeah, yeah, yeah. like he's like a giant gingerbread man. There's a lot of like slow motion jokes that I feel like you can't make anymore because they've just been done to to yeah. death. You have a like, reference to like there's those like it's the Matrix. They talk in base level. <laughs> there's like, like a ran. There's we were talking about it uh, before, but like there's like a random reference to cops where like. Where yeah, where yeah, Puss yells, "You capitalist pig dogs!" at the uh, at the police and and donkeys yelling police brutality, <laughs> which which is like it's a weird yeah, scene. Yeah, and they, they they get his catnip and he's like catnip, <laughs> and so it's like it's constantly like that's what's also and I think. I think especially in this one where it's like ingrained in this world that's like hot that's supposed to be the Hollywood like it feels much more natural to constantly be making references to like television and movies because it it feel it's a place that like you would assume that that's kind of like the the point of reference for everybody living there would be the pop culture around them. I uh, that that makes me soften a bit towards those aspects of it cuz I do think that is a through line and it is it does it does gel in a way i don't always love it but especially in comparison if you compare it with the first one because the first one does not have if if i can remember correctly it doesn't have as much of that at all um, well, it has it, but it, it's it's more it's a little bit more clever where it's like working it into it's it's like working it into a joke that's like structured as as like medieval fairy tale, but it's also referencing something that's like you know that's that's more modern day. This one, it's more making direct homages to this is from Star Wars. This is from Mission Impossible. This, you know, like it's, it's, but it makes sense because they're in Hollywood, but yeah. you know what they're, you know what they're doing because again, like, like the pop, like pop culture is are, are like the, 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 you know, what, what our culture is kind of driven on. So if you're up to date with pop culture, you know, exactly like what they're referencing with that scene. Now, yeah, I have this like love-hate relationship with Shrek, and I feel like I'm supposed to, like, and it, and sometimes it succeeds too well. Sometimes I just hate that guy. I think he sucks sometimes. Yeah, and like sometimes I'm just like, you're so just like, you're not fun. It's like like he is. They they do a good job of making him like actually, like no, he is off-putting. He does tell bad jokes. You would kind of not want him at your party, um, which like sometimes is like it's just like what he's supposed to be like, and other times I'm like, I don't want to hang out with him for another scene. Get him out of here. Yeah, he he is kind of like a he he is he's a very difficult character a lot of the times, but I think that 
Especially, especially as the franchise goes along. I mean, like in this one, you add Puss in Boots, who's pretty fun. He's pretty great. Like as a, as kind of like a between him and, and Eddie Murphy as Donkey, they're pretty nice. Like, oh, I love when Puss is like like sucking up to him, like in this movie where he's like he is like laughing at Shrek's jokes and stuff. Like, oh, that's so good. And like, like and Donkey's like confused because like he knows Shrek is not funny. Like, it's that, yeah, because he's, yeah, I forget what this context is, but he's, like, clearly trying to suck up to Shrek, and I, I like that whole dynamic there. Uh, but, uh, what was I going to say? In, I guess we should just go down, sort of, like, then there's Donkey, who, again, I hadn't seen these movies in a while, and, of course, you remember Donkey being, like, the funniest thing you've ever seen in your life. And now it is kind of this, like, I don't know. It's it's weird. I was just listening. I was, like, rather inebriated with some friends, and we were, like, throwing on a bunch of records, and we were like, whoa, we'll put on a sick-ass record. Seth, you put on a sick-ass record. Whoa, that's a sick-ass record. Jacob, you put on one. And then Jacob uh, put on an Eddie Murphy record. And we're like, this is gonna be great. This is awesome. And and then um, it was, of course, we're like really late at night. We're really inebriated. And we're not prepared for it to be the Eddie Murphy one where he starts talking about how like AIDS is really funny and like gay people better not look at my butt, you know, and stuff like that. And everybody was just like, oh, I'm so upset now. Oh, turn it off. But like, and this, that's like the one poll of Eddie Murphy. And here we're getting another poll of Eddie Murphy where like Eddie Murphy can't quite, like in Shrek world, he can't quite be as funny as he could be. Um, because it's all gotta be, like, kind of at a certain level. So it's like, I wish I had, like, a happy medium of Eddie Murphy somewhere here. Um, and in general, sometimes. Well, because I definitely don't want, uh, Eddie Murphy being horrible Eddie Murphy. I don't want that, but sometimes I feel like I can sense that, like, Eddie Murphy here is being, like, held back a little bit. Well, you gotta figure, like, I would like to know what the script for Donkey is. Like, I, because I, I feel like it's, I, like, for the most part, they, they just bring Eddie Murphy in and he just, like, does he just says whatever and just just reacting to whatever the other characters have said in the scene um because it just con it constantly feels like he's just kind of improving everything like there wasn't any because there's no like real like emotion to the scenes it's more just him kind of run like running off jokes and some of them land and some of them don't yeah yeah that is kind of i i guess maybe he feels and and that approach works more in the first one i think because it it's more uh i think he's thinking a lot more about the context of the story because the the story has so much more to do with shrek and donkey and their dynamic in the first one whereas this one it kind of takes a back seat um and i do think it kind of his performance kind of suffers from that that he's like I'll just be back here saying silly things, you know, while the actual important things are happening and I'm not really involved in them. I mean, he's he, technically you could probably take him out of the movie and it wouldn't like take away anything. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. 
Um, but one of the other things that we talk, I think it's more apparent in the first movie where like the animation feels very, yeah, the animation feels very wonky and like, exp- like, like it's kind of, it feels very early experimental for like digital animation. This one seems it's a little cleaner. Um, and I feel like that, and I feel like that starts that it's fine here. Cause again, like I, I like this one a lot. This might be my favorite of the franchise, but I think that also as the animation like literally as the animation gets better i think that the the product overall product suffers because i think that like messiness that like un- the young canny valley that we were talking about last week with with like shrek one i think like that you have to have that to like that's what's also makes it so charming like i i'll be i think we'll probably talk about this in the third and fourth ones where because it they look like so top of the line it becomes less interesting um but seth i mean what do you how do you feel about that what do you how do you feel about the animation in it i really can't i i do think it's consistent at least like this and there is a style like the mistake here would be to have just sort of like a baseline amorphous uh, approach to making humans, the human characters in particular, look like humans, right? I think that they are a little character caricatures. They're a little stylized, and I appreciate that about them. Well, I was, I was when I was reading the uh, the notes. Um... They were talking about how this one they made they had they made a lot more human characters and I think that that there was really not many human characters in the first one and I think that's what also made the difference. Yeah, um, but I think they do like whether it's this one or the first one. I think either way there are definite moments of just grotesquerie of just like some of these close-ups. You're just like, what am I looking at? Like the eyeballs look so strange. Well, just think of like human Shrek in this movie. Human Shrek is a weird, he's like this weird, I was trying to think of who you reminded me of. He kind of looks like, like his, his head looks like Elton John. Who? Oliver Reed. Oliver, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I, see I was, I was thinking like his head. He kind of has like a boxy head, like Elton John. Ooh, I see that. Like Elton John and Oliver Reed, then you would get Shrek as a human. I think that's what you would get. But that's like the. I think that's like that's why I say this movie still has like that kind of goofiness because it adds that whole element of the human Shrek that's very uncanny and kind of odd um which kind of works in its favor right because we're supposed to be feeling that that like oh this is wrong shrek should not be a human you know like shrek should be who he is you know Um, yeah and i and i think you know again like i'll be curious to see the third and fourth movies but again i think that because like as it gets more refined in its animation i i think that you know that 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 imperfectness that that just kind of strangeness like that the first movie had and this movie has i think that's like part of the charm like you want like this kind of you want like that messiness you know it's like they 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 perfected the technology too much and now it's i mean it's kind of how i feel with a lot of disney animation now is it's like it's so photorealistic that it's boring <laughs> yeah yeah totally we're yeah sure some of it's all about how they shape these faces just so that like prince like Ch- prince charming's face like while it 
at first glance looks like uncanny valley and it's like too realistic then you see like some of the flourishes on the nose and things that just like people don't actually look like that so they are kind of going for a storybook look there like same with why like i'll just keep going back to it i think farquad is one of my favorite like cgi characters i think he's just like there's something in that face that is just like I, if it you, you no one has that face and that's why you would go to like a C, a weird warped sort of CGI character for this you can only get this from this well, like, it's like a it's like a human it's like a it's like an adult male on a baby yeah and he's got this silly little like smile and this silly little bone structure well I think it also you know DreamWorks I think is better at doing this but they do like really lean into like the the uncanniness in animation I think you know not even just Shrek but you think of like I think you know and, and how to train your dragon and boss baby and trolls like all those like all those movies it's just they just kind of have like this they're just very different and like that's why i say like with Disney, especially with disney animation now um like the most recent one i watched was that raya and the last dragon the animation in that is so they're trying to make it so perfect that again like i'm just like i don't want it to be like that's i i like it to be i like to see the strings you know like that's why i love stop motion animation that's why i love hand-drawn animation because yeah it's not perfect you you can tell that it's that it that there was mistakes there or something like that but there there's something like genuine in that like there's something genuine in those mistakes that's what you know that's what was great about the first Shrek because even though it was digital it was like very messy early digital so it was great um and I think now and again there's yeah yeah, again, there's a unified style that you can identify, and those are my, f- those are the, er- those are the best Disney movies. Those are my favorite animated movies where there's like an identifiable style. Like, like 101 Dalmatians is like super sketchy, like the furthest thing from realistic. And it's like jazzy looking, but it it is like this like you appreciate it because it is so cohesive. Whereas like. I haven't seen that last dragon movie, but from what I have seen, like picking out some sort of unique approach to the animation is kind of more difficult for the audience and kind of seems like not what they're interested in. They're more interested in like, wow, we've really like made the eyelashes look realistic. Haven't well, and we? I think it also kind of just, you know, again, like I know that there's a large degree of work that's going into that movie because even though it's on a computer, I mean, the the, the like your to your example, 101 Dalmatian, it's on, it was on a, you know, a processing, it was on a computer, it was on, you know, a storyboard, like there was something that they had to put it in in order to make it. But I think also like with the animation today, since it's so you know it's so beholden to where people you know you're pulling from a style that's built in house and you're just kind of copying that style over and over and over again through a computer through the program that there's something that that it it, it makes everything so uniform like you're describing and I, th- and I think that that you lose kind of that you lose that that just that interesting quality you know like if everything looks the same you think of like of like pixar movies now i mean pixar movies they might shift a couple qualities but all of the characters look the same and then but then you know i think of something like um 
you know, I, th- I know you're a big fan of this, but like the secret of Nim, all of those characters feel the like so fucking unique. Like all of those characters in that feel so different from one another. And it's because like they're each hand drawn. And so even though, you know, you have a family of mice, not all of them look the same or, or kind of feel the same because they're all hand drawn in different ways. And again, a great feat because it is still like... It's crazy. There's like cartoonish mice and realistic, like humans and stuff, but somehow it all feels like it should be there, um, and it still feels stylized in, a, in an interesting way. Uh, yeah. And I think you know. I think it also goes back to you know. There's. There's just you can't really you don't because they're so afraid to lose or lose money now you know they're so the stakes are so high or at least you know the self-created stakes for these these studios are so high that i think that's also driving why you know disney and and these places are are kind of keeping with this style that they know works well you know like that's why a lot of all of disney animation studios movies look like frozen now because frozen was so fucking popular that they're like well let's like let's even if even if people don't you know exactly vibe with big hero six or something like that at least the characters look the same so like we can kind of keep that you know that stuff yeah, they can they can respond to it, and it's the same way I think with Pixar. Um, but I think you know I, I'll give DreamWorks that you know not all DreamWorks movies work for me, but I think that to their credit, they at least try to do strange, different things. You know, like Boss Baby does not look like Shrek, Trolls does not look like How to Train Your Dragon. I mean, they're all kind of unique in their own way. Right, I think that's uh, just a, so much more of an interesting approach. Like, finding that particular style for that particular movie so it's its own thing. Like, like again, I, if, how could you not keep going back to early Disney for this example, which is just, like, there, there's, like, there's, like, four or five-year periods where they are all in this, like, in a similar style, but that's it. Like, they, like, like, all, like, Alice in Wonderland is, is this great achievement because it's just they picked uh i forget her name but it's just one artist and walt was just like i like the way she does art we're gonna do it in her style and then the next movie like we go with a different it's like it's like it's it's almost like having how, how having a certain director uh colors your whole movie and shapes your whole movie if you can find a specific style and that would be uh that would be something to see in animation more now yeah but unfortunately you know i just again i think unfortunately it's not going that way even like i'm thinking of the i think the most recent studio animation studio that's starting to make kind of waves is is sony animation because people really responded well to spider-man into the spider-verse um and like i watched uh the mitchells versus the machines earlier this year and there's some really interesting animated sequences in that but it also feels because it's coming from the same studio it feels very like it's evoking a lot of what people like that kind of comic book quality that people were responding to with the end of the spider-verse and i think that that's just i think at least on the in the realm of animation i think you can probably tie that to a lot of movies whether it's marvel movies or anything like that like people like there is it's not necessarily a house style but it's like 
you can you can um, litigate a little bit of the damage of a movie failing if you at least kind of have something because it's like we have to have something familiar for people to latch on to and so if it has to be you, you if, like if the if the characters at least look like frozen then we can make a movie that's a little bit different but, but at least people will hang with it because the people because the characters look like frozen um and you know it's i think that that's kind of like what marvel's doing like you have something like the eternals and they're trying to do you you like theoretically they're trying to do something different but at the same time they're very much leaning into what people are familiar with with um their superhero movies just from like the trailers i mean the trailer all, like all of the all of that trailer is is kind of carbon copying other marvel trailers including like the last the little like in in stinger thing where there's kind of like a, a joke that where they're um making a comment you know they're, they're making a reference to something in reality that you know gets people to kind of chuckle um because again they're they're like this formula works and so we have to kind of continue to 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 use it over and over and over again and i think that um i think that that's what's that's what's you know taking this back to shrek like that's what's great about shrek is that you know it does have this quote how the style to it that kind of carries over throughout him but i think that it also it also has this ability to be kind of warped and strange and different um and i don't think you see that with like big budget animated movies anymore yeah and i wouldn't say that style is copied by other even dreamworks pictures that's what's so nice about it oh absolutely um as we kind of wind down, any 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 final thoughts on Shrek Two? I mean, for you, uh, Seth, is you know, is I mean, was, is this your favorite in the franchise? Are you still, or are you a Shrek One person? Well, I've only seen one and two, and I do think just for nostalgic reasons, like and far quad reasons, uh, I got number one is just number one. Uh, but this one is like. It's, it's surprising. I think we were talking earlier that it was just like, we didn't really need it. it it's, it's, a, it's, it's the surprising sequel like that, where it's just like, I, I figured they would, but we probably don't need one. And then like, whoa, pleasantly surprised that it just like goes down easy and it's a good time. And, if, and it even adds depth uh, to these characters, makes the first one even better by existing at all. Uh, this one does have uh, Prince Charming and Julie Andrews. See, I'm all about the villains in the in these Shrek movies. Well, uh, the, the the villain it's uh, Jennifer Saunders is fairy godmother. Julie Andrews is the queen. Oh, oh right, right, right. Uh, who they are great too. Yeah, I I I love all the uh, all the other human characters. Yeah, like Fiona's parents and yeah, the fairy godmother was an incredible performance. I loved her so much. I think that really elevated the movie oh a holding out for a hero by uh by fairy godmother i think is the is the take yes. is the takeaway sequence from shrek 2 that people still latch on to oh man i've, I've seen it and pop it, up on tiktok you know it's 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 the one that people go to it's great and i love that uh that whole gag where they go to like burger king their equivalent of burger king or whatever <laughs> It's like, oh, I like Char- Prince Charming wants the medieval meal, and he has this little crown. 
It's cute. Well, just the whole sequence, like when you go to her, the factory where she's making the different spells, like just that, that whole sequence is just fantastic satire, you know, from the scene you were describing earlier where that where he's saying that he's from the union to just like the whole, the whole satire of like, of, of factories and in factory culture, um, I think is great. Like, like again, the the fact that Shrek Two has a really nuanced, you know, satirical view of like how corporations own, like, have more power over, um, you know, over over ruling class is uh, is great. And in such an overt way, I think that's as uh, in some ways I I complain. I, I, I it's easy to complain about how it is maybe trying too hard to be edgy. But I do like that it is just, like, it's not burying the lead. It is, like, very, like, overtly doing what it's doing when it's, like, lampooning things. It, uh, it is, when, when, when it's good, it's really good with that. Because it is just, like, if you're an adult in the audience, you know what they're, you know what they're doing with the Starbucks thing. You know what they're doing with, uh... The, the sweatshop thing, you know, it, and it's not really even dressed up all that much, you know. No, no it's not. Um, well, if you're if you're looking to watch Shrek 2, they got the first two movies on Hulu, so go watch those and then come back and listen to our first two episodes of the series. You mean I paid for it on Amazon for nothing? I don't know. That's fool. the whole irony of the whole thing. Oh... Um, well, that will wrap up this episode of Cinematary. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cinematary, on Twitter and Instagram at handle at cinematary, and on Letterbox at letterbox.com slash cinematary, where we list all the movies that we talked about in this episode. Thank you to our patrons, patreon.com slash cinematary. Thank you to Cam, Chad Newsom, Christina Daughtry, Corey Willingham, Harry Eskin, uh, Candace Sisson, Ron Hayes, Tyler Chandler, and Whitney Rio Ross. Thank you so much for your patronage. Next week, we're going to continue our October series with 2007 Shrek the Third, which, um, again, I I know I know like the whole gist of it, but I've not. I don't think I've ever sat from start to finish and watched Shrek the Third. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've never seen it. But I do. Slash. I'm afraid. I'm kind of afraid. <laughs> but I do know, you, you know, you have the whole scene where she has the Justin Timberlake poster in her room in Trek 2, and then Justin Timberlake stars in this one. So it's all, that's, that's the, that's the, those are the loopholes in the Shrek universe. But thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week.